Why don't you get your Bible out and let's do what we do. Get into God's Word. Uh, Open up your Bible to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. We're wrapping up this series, Do Good. And we've been calling it Do Good because uh, really that theme runs all the way through the letter. This is a letter that Apostle Paul wrote to Titus, his young leader that he left on the island of Crete to encourage the churches. And really this theme of doing good or doing good works runs all the way through the book. Uh, six times it's mentioned out of 46 verses. And, uh, and so we're going to be studying in these last few parts of this letter, these last closing remarks. And we're going to start in verse 8. So let's just jump right on into it now. Into it now. Titus chapter 3, beginning at verse 8. All right, if you're there, say amen. amen. All right, this is the word of God. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Now, stop right there. Paul is writing to Titus, and, and he is encouraging them with this letter. He's going to wrap this whole thing up. And he said, listen, here's the deal, Titus. I've been writing you a lot about how Christians need to live differently and so on. He said, let me just kind of boil this down for you, all right? Let me just, let me give you a trustworthy saying, a leadership axiom, a a principle that I want you to remember and I want you to insist on it. It's really important. Are you listening? Yeah, Paul, we're listening. What is it? He said, here it is. Here's this saying. Uh, If you believed in God, then, then you need to devote yourself to doing good works. If you, if you truly have come to Christ, if you truly are changed, if you truly know Jesus, then, then you need to devote yourself to doing good works. Now, now, when he says good works here, he's not just saying doing kind of nice things. I mean, that might be included, like you give somebody a, a sonic drink, or you go mow their lawn, or, or you take their trash to the curb. I mean, that, those are nice good works, but his understanding of good works is larger than that in this book. Basically, what he's saying is that you live a life that is full of good works, full of compassion, full of joy, full of help, full of, full of Jesus. See, if you really have come to believe in Jesus, then you need, your life needs to reflect that. Your life needs to be full of good works. Now, he's not saying that you're saved because you do good works. That's really important. He's not saying that. In fact, in chapter uh, 3, verse 8, he says he saved us not because of the good things we've done, but because of his mercy. So we don't do good works in order for God to accept us. But what he is saying is that if you really do know Jesus, if you really come to Christ, then out of the overflow of a changed life, it will show, all right? You will devote yourself to doing good things, and people are going to see the difference that Jesus has made. That's his whole point. He said, I want you to devote yourself to this. I want you to commit yourself. Let this be the pattern of your life. Let it be the habit that you live a different life because of Christ, right? Now, it's one thing to do good for a little while, right? We can, we can maybe muster up doing good for a little bit. It's hard to do good long term. Would you agree with that? I mean, you're taking your kids to grand, granny's house. You say, all right, kids, here's the deal. Don't break anything, all right? Be good. Be nice. And it, if you could just be good for a couple hours, then we'll get you ice cream on the back side. I mean, we, we, we bribe them to do good for a short amount of time. How in the world are we going to do good when we go out to college? How in the world are we going to do good when we get into our career? How, how do we do good for life? Well, that's what he's talking about. For in these closing remarks, in this letter he sends to Titus, Paul tells us how 
to do good for life. And basically what he's going to say is this. You've got to avoid some things and you have to embrace some things. If you're going to live the life God wants you to live. And students, I'm going to direct several times over here because really what I'm going to share with you is a lot of how you do good, how you live a godly life when you go on to a college campus, how you do good when you get into a job, how you do good for life. There's a lot of poignant words here for you today, but they're for all of us. So he starts off talking about what to avoid, all right? So get your Bible out, Bible open, heart open, mind open. Let's look at what, he, what we need to avoid. Verse 9, you might want to circle the word avoid there. That, by the way, you Greek scholars, that's in the imperative. What that means is that's a command. That's important. He says, hey, I'm commanding you to avoid these things. In fact, he said, I want you to shun them. I want you to get them out of your life. I don't want this to entangle you. Give it the stiff arm because if these things get into you, they're really going to derail your walk with God. And they're going to diminish your impact and your, and your witness for Christ. All right, what are these things I got to avoid? Well, here's the first one. Jot it down. Avoid foolish talk. Avoid foolish talk. Look at verse 9. He says, but avoid foolish controversies genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. See, what was happening in these early church, in these early churches in Crete, is that there were these false teachers coming into these churches, and they were telling them a lot of things that weren't true. These kind of had this elitist mindset, and, and they would come in, they go, well, we've kind of arrived, and we, got to, we know a lot of stuff you don't know, and we'll inform you, and they started saying a lot of things that were causing division and fights and polarizing the church. You say, like what? Well, he lists off a few things. One of them was genealogies. You know what a genealogy is? Like you go on Ancestry.com, you can pull up your genealogy, who beget who beget who, right? Well, there are genealogies in the Bible. But what they would do is they would take a, a name out of the genealogy and they'd start teaching a whole bunch of stuff that was made up. Just myths and stories and legends that aren't even rooted in scripture. And they'd tell all this stuff and people go, no, wait a minute, that's not in the Bible. And, and so there would be controversy. Or uh, they would start teaching all these Jewish laws. You had to follow all these Jewish laws in order to be saved. And they'd go, well, that's not true. And it, it would cause drama. And so all of a sudden, these people started warring one against the other. In fact, in, in Titus chapter 1, verse 11, it says whole families were becoming upset about this stuff. I mean, whole families were taking sides, dividing the church, chaos, and now they're not sharing the gospel, they're not making disciples, they're just fighting over this meaningless stuff. And he said, you need to avoid this kind of stuff. Hey, listen, this same thing can happen to you. It can happen to all of us. Uh, you can get off on some kind of theological tangent, and all of a sudden, you're really fixated on this one theological thing, and that becomes the end-all, be-all for you. And then all of a sudden, you're distracted. You're not walking with God. You're not sharing your faith. You're just bent up on this kind of thing. You're going to go off on a college campus. There are going to be a whole lot of people who are going to tell you things that do not agree with God's Word. A whole lot of things. You're going to step into an environment that really is trying to dismantle what you've been taught your whole life. And so you're going to have to make a decision. Am I going to listen to this kind of foolish talk or am I going to stand with God's truth? That is a decision each one of you graduates will have to make the minute you step on that campus. You're going to have to learn to avoid foolish talk. And by the way, foolish talk isn't just about theology. There's a whole lot of foolish talk that goes on that has nothing to do with the Bible. 
right? If you're talking about other people gossip, that's foolish talk. That just causes drama and division. Uh, or, or sharing something that somebody gave you in confidence when you say, they didn't want me to say anything, but I'll just tell you, you don't tell anybody, all right? That's foolish talk. I, I see Christians going at it over things, over sports and politics. I'm like, enough already. I remember about a, a year ago during the last election cycle, I was on Facebook and I was scrolling through, I followed some guy that I know in our church and uh, I started drilling down and following this thread of a discussion and it popped in a guy, another guy that I know from our church and they were going at it back and forth over this political candidate and I mean, it got nasty. You know what, na- when you let, pull the A out really long, it's bad, right? Nasty. I mean, and they were like cutting each other down and sarcastic and I'm like, what is happening? And, it, it, and you'd be proud of me because I didn't get in it. But what I wanted to do was type in, stop it, exclamation point. You're a pastor, all right? That's what I wanted to say. Stop it in Jesus' name, right? Because there are all these people that don't know Jesus listening to you guys fight over this stuff. And it's meaningless talk that only causes division in the church and hurts people. Maybe we look at you and go, that's how Christians treat one another. Well, who needs that? I got all that all that I can handle. See? And, and that's what Paul is saying. Enough already with the foolish talk. So listen, when you get on a college campus and you hear a lot of chirping about things that want to say the Bible's not true and you can live however you want, and there's no foundation of morality, you need to avoid foolish talk. Avoid false teaching. You need to have your discernment up. You need to have your biblical grid firmly in place so that when something sticks in your, in your biblical grid, you go, hey, I don't think this is true. Then you need to eject, all right? That's how you walk through the college campus, with discernment. And that's how we need to operate as a church, with discernment. Avoid foolish talk, all right? But not only do we avoid foolish talk, uh, look at what else he says to avoid. Avoid divisive people. Look at verse 10. Look at verse 10. He says, uh, and, and for a person who stores up division, stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, uh, he is self-condemned. Wow, that's pretty uh, strong language. But here's what he's saying. He's like, listen, foolish talk usually comes out of a, uh, of a divisive person. And there are always those people in, your, in the church and in any organization that just loves to stir the pot. They're at every school, they're in every business, they're in every uh, organization, every team. Somebody's got to be the pot stirrer, you know what I'm talking about? And uh, he said, these divisive people, they're just causing drama. And he said, you need to not only avoid the foolish talk, you need to avoid that, uh, this, this foolish, divisive person. He said, there are always people that are going to want to uh, say, well, I heard them, talk, them talking about you, and I heard he said that, and pitting one person against another. Hey, listen, unity, let me just talk about church for a minute. Unity in the church is important. Would you agree with that? Somebody say amen if you agree with that. Unity in the church is important. And what he's saying here is you need to guard uh, that unity uh, in the church. Listen, we're not all going to agree on everything, all right? We're just, we're all people that have our own ways about us, but we choose unity. Just like in your own family, you don't agree with everything, uh, but, but you choose unity in the church family. We agree to disagree on some things so that we choose the unity. In fact, uh, the Apostle Paul's writing to one church that was off the rails because of all kinds of division. 
And he wrote them these words in 1 Corinthians 1.10. He said, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in, to one another in what you say, and there be no division among you, but you, that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Hey, we need to remind ourselves that this church is not your church. And this church is not my church. This church is God's church. That he's, it's his church. That Christ bought this church with his own blood. That Christ is the head of the church. The church is the bride of Christ. The church belongs to him. And he cares very much about what happens inside his church. And he cares very much and takes very seriously division among his church. In fact, in, in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 19, it says that there are seven things God hates. And one of the things God hates is one who sows dissension among brothers, one who intentionally goes about meticulously, strategically, surgically creating division. God hates that. Why? Because that, that derails a church, and it causes that church to never live up to the purpose for which it was called. I tell you what, I've lived life long enough to see churches die. And you go back and do an autopsy on a dead church, and I guarantee you it'll start off focused, uni united, Sent, sent, focused on the mission to lead people to Christ and disciple them and, and multiply. And then somewhere along the way, somebody started talking about a fringe issue. And somebody got sideways over that. And then, all, and then all of a sudden, one started fighting with another. And then the whole church began to decline and to die. And so we have to be vigilant in these things. And uh, in fact, by the way, we just ordained some new deacons just this last week. And I want you to say, I, I love our deacons. I love them. They are godly good men. In fact, this was the uh, latest group of men that were ordained as deacons uh, last week. Put our hands on them, prayed over them. And the deacon body, you don't hear a lot about our deacons at our church. And that's on purpose. Because a deacon is not somebody that has an office that wears it like a badge that struts around like they're all that. A deacon is a man who works silently, quietly, in, within our groups and within our church body, resolving conflict, loving on people, caring for needs. They're always the first ones to, to move into a problem and bring resolution to it. These are godly men that pray over you, that love you. And I've watched them. I've watched them go into somebody that's upset about something and, and dissolve that problem and, and bring it to, to unity and, and pray over them. I, uh, they just go to work quietly bringing unity to the body. And I'm thankful for these men. And I think we ought to give it up for, the, for these deacons that do that hard work in our church all the time. But listen, that's why he's saying you've you got to avoid crazy controversies, something that don't agree with the word. And you've got to avoid these divisive people. Avoid them. In fact, what do you do with a divisive person? Well, look at what he says. He says, uh, uh, Verse 10, he said, well, warn them, warn him once and then twice and then have nothing to do with him. Three strikes and you're out, all right? Give him a warning so he has an opportunity to stop it. Give him a second warning, that's extra grace. Third warning, we got we to gotta separate from you because we can't have that going on in here. We can't have that going on in here. Now, listen, let me just say this uh, to our graduates too and, not, and really to all of us. Not only do we not we need to avoid divisive people in the church. We just need to avoid divisive people in our lives, all right? There are some people that always wanna stir up drama and would love for you to get in it with them. 
You know those people? Hey, did you hear about, you know, and hey, how about, you know, and just want to suck you into the drama that they create. Here, here's, I, this is not in the Bible, but I believe it's true. All right? Can I say that? Yeah. All right. Well, you, you, be, you be the judge. I believe this is true. Life has enough drama of its own. You don't need drama people stirring it up even more. So, so choose uh, your friends well. People that stir up drama, you don't need that in your life. Uh, you don't need to date people that stir up drama. You don't need to marry people that stir up drama. You don't need to befriend people that stir up drama because you got enough drama of your own. You just stay focused on avoiding those things and then embracing other things. Well, what are we supposed to embrace? Well, he tells us there's some healthy relationships we need to embrace. So check these out. Graduates, you need all these three things when you go to college. All right? You need these three things. First one is you need to embrace godly leaders. Godly leaders. Look at verse 12. Now, he's kind of wrapping up his letter here. He said, when I send Artemis and Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis. For I've decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. Okay, what is Paul talking about? He's wrapping up his letter, but he's identifying leaders that these churches are now going to follow. And these, uh, he mentions them. Let's look at them. Artemis, this is the only place in the Bible where Artemis is mentioned. We don't know really anything about him other than he is now going to take the place of Titus on Crete. Artemis and Tychicus are going to take over. Titus is going to leave. They're relieving Titus. He's going to go meet Paul in Nicopolis. And then they're going to kind of rest up there and then they're going to be reassigned. Okay. So these men are coming in. So Artemis is a proven leader. Tychicus here is actually mentioned four times in the Bible. Did you know that? Four different times in four different locations he's mentioned. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 6, he is called uh, a dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord. So these are two men that are trusted, proven leaders. And then he mentions two others. Check them out. Uh, Zenos, in verse 13, the lawyer. We don't know anything about this guy other than he's a lawyer. And he's the only lawyer mentioned in the Bible. So if you're a lawyer, there's hope. Uh, you, you, a lawyer's mentioned in the Bible. Amen. And then Apollos is mentioned. Now, we know a lot about Apollos. Apollos was that, that great leader from North Africa, that great preacher, apologist, brilliant scholar. This guy worked with Paul at Corinth. So, so he's identifying these leaders, and he said, you need to follow these leaders. Now, listen, when you go off to college or you go off to school or you go off to your career, wherever you're headed, you need the environment around you of a godly leader and pastor in your life. You need to get to a church with a pastor that teaches you God's word. You need to be under the, the direction of godly leaders that speak truth in your life, that preach the word in your life, and that model Monday through Saturday how you live out and walk with God. That's what you need. Uh, in fact, uh, I think about Hebrews uh, chapter 13, verse 7. It says, remember leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. You need to say, hey, I've got to find a church with a man that will open up a Bible and teach from it. And then Monday through Saturday will live it out and, and show me how to do that. He said, you imitate those people. You follow those people. They'll speak truth into your life and they'll keep you going in the right direction so that you do good for life. My uh, daughters, when they graduate from high school, they, uh, they went off to college. And for the first time in their life, they got to pick their preacher, right? Up to that point, they, they had no choice. 
They were with me. But now they got to pick their, they got to sample churches and pick out preachers. And I was fascinated with how they would make those decisions. And finally, uh, they kind of landed in a church. And I said, well, honey, uh, tell me about your preacher. I usually started, led off with that. And they'd say, oh, dad, you know, they'd tell them about what they liked about their church. And then usually both of them in different ways would say this. But dad, you know what I really like about my preacher? I said, what is it? They'd say, he, he preaches the Bible, dad. He preaches the Bible. And I said, if you find a pastor that will preach God's word and will live it out before you, then you stay right there, honey. You stay right there because he's going to lead you well and you're going to grow and he's going to challenge you to walk with God. So listen, if if you want to do good for life, you want to do good in college, you want to really walk with God, you need to get in a local church. That's got to be a top priority. There are going to be all kinds of activities and things for you to get into. Get into a church under a pastor that's going to preach and teach God's word Uh, before you. Another thing you need is you need to embrace godly friends. Godly friends. Look at verse 14. He said, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. There, that phrase, devote themselves to good works, there it is again. Same, same in verse eight. Now it is here in verse 14. In other words, he said, you need to be around people that are devoted to living out this Jesus kind of life. You need to be around people that are devoted to living, to following Christ, to walking as Jesus walked, to living as Jesus lived. You need to be, you need to have people around you that are proven to live out their walk with God. Now listen to me. I believe that there are two things that are essential to your spiritual growth. Not just graduates for everybody in this room. Two things. In fact, these two, if you have these two things, you, you are in the greatest position to grow spiritually. And if you do not have these two things, these are the greatest things that if they are missing in your life will cause you to not walk with God. Are ready? Just boil it down two things. One is daily exposure to God's word. For you to daily be in God's word so that God can speak to you. That's number one. And number two, godly friends around you that encourage you spiritually. I found if you've got those two things in your life, then you're, you're set up to walk with God because God's going to speak to you and godly friends are going to encourage you, going to hang out and do what they do. But if you do not have daily exposure to God's word and you do not have godly friends, you will probably not be walking with God six months from now because they are so important to the life of a Christian. And that's why he said, you need to avoid the chatter people that don't follow God anyway. You need to avoid the divisive people in your life that try to take you away from Christ. And you need to get under a godly pastor and you need to get godly friends around you. That's what you need. And your friends are going to either, either lift you up or they're going to pull you down. One of the two. Your friends are either going to drive you to Jesus or they're going to draw you away from him. They're going to say, hey, we're not going to that party because, man, we're going to do this over here because this honors God. Or they're going to say, man, let's go party, forget all that stuff. Come on, you can do this. And, And there's a lot of inertia and a lot of current pulling you away from Christ. You need godly friends that will say, we're going to walk with Jesus. And when you do, man, I tell you what, that makes all the difference in the world. All the difference in the world. So what kind of friends you have? I had a friend of mine told me a story about his son that went through kind of a choppy time. And he said, yeah, really what was happening is he needed to get away from some, just some friendships that weren't helping him walk with God. I mean, they went to church, but they weren't helping him walk with God. He said, once he kind of cut those off and, and began to run with some other group, he said, then he began to really walk with God. 
Listen, that's not just for high school graduates or college graduates. Guess what? That's for all of us. Because you never outgrow peer pressure. Did you know that? You never do. You never outgrow it. It's just a part of our lives. And so who are you running with? Who are you texting during the week? Who are you going out to dinner with? Who are you hanging out with on the weekends? Are they pursuing Christ? If they are, then that's the kind of people you want to be with. And if they're not, then those are the people you want to avoid. He said, uh, embrace uh, godly leaders. Embrace godly friends. And then here's the last thing. Embrace grace and love. I love the way he ends this this letter, look at the last verse. He says, all who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Circle those words, love and grace. He said, if you want to make a difference in this world, you want to, you want to do good for life, you need to love people in your life. And you need to extend grace to them when they fail. When they fail you, when they disappoint you, You need to extend grace and really love people, especially those who love God. You know, this last week, um, Barbara Bush uh, passed away last week. And uh, been, of course, a lot of talk about her and things about her in the media recently. In 1992, I believe it was, Barbara Bush gave the commencement speech for the graduates at Pepperdine University. And at that university, she spoke uh, some very powerful words. But one of the things she said really stuck out. And I want to close with this. She said this, at the end of your life, you will never regret not having passed one more test, winning one more verdict, or closing one more deal. But you will regret time not spent with your husband or your child or your friend. And as I thought about those words and I thought about the message Paul was giving to Titus, he was basically saying, tell the Christians to live like Jesus, to follow Jesus, to be different, to be a light not to be overcome by darkness, to be a light in the world and let Christ shine through. And he said, if you live for Jesus Christ at the end of your life, you will not regret it. I've never known anybody, and I've been with people in their last breath. I've been to people in their last dying moments, and I've never had anybody say at the end of their life, I regret following Jesus. I regret uh, saying no to that uh, saying no to that temptation. I regret uh, giving my life fully to Jesus. I've never heard that. But I have heard people say, Pastor, I worked so much that I never really gave it all to Jesus. Or I held on to that grudge so long and I never really was free from that to really be used by God. I regret that. Listen, you will never regret students going off to college and standing for Christ. You'll never regret it. And the rest of us, we, you will never regret a life lived for Jesus. So live it for Jesus.